You have a new book, Help Me God, I'm a Parent. You've compiled uh, letters to the God of the universe on behalf of yourself and another parent. You wrote, uh, if you're reading this, it's because you're a parent, grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, a caregiver, and these wild and crazy times. When did you find that your voice could speak not only about what you were experiencing as a parent, but to other parents and caregivers? Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work and renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout out to some of our listener supporters, including Carson Fushi, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Carlisle Mike Wick, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary. A historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Boonmi Latitan. She is a writer and humorist with her work appearing on the Huffington Post, Parenting.com, along with CBS Sunday Mornings, The Today Show, and Good Morning America. She's authored several books, including Dear God, Honest Prayers to a God Who Listens, and Toddlers Are A-Holes. It's not your fault. Uh, Boomy, thank you for joining the conversation. Thank you so much for having me on here. Now, uh, if you already have not received it, I want to give you um, an award this morning. Um, it's it's an award for the best book title of all time. Toddlers <laughs> are a holes. Uh, every time I read that title, it's like that is an amazing title of the book. Uh, so here's your award. We're giving it to you. Uh, I don't know if you have an acceptance speech you you want to give us. Um, I would just like to thank um toddlers for for not caring day in and day out <laughs> for for choosing nudity whether they're at home or or the grocery store, anywhere. <laughs> I admire them for that. Um, 
just their tenaciousness, their belief in themselves. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be here struggling without them. So thank you. <laughs> My favorite conversation, uh, you know, I have two girls and um, one's 10, one's about to turn eight. And, you know, when they were younger and they would act out and be like, let's not do this in front of all these people. And my favorite response from them is like, I don't care. I'm never going to see these people again. You know, it's like, yeah, but I might. Oh, so <laughs> hold on. It's, it's laggy. Let me, I'm going to stop my video. What I, what did you, I miss? I missed the thing you just said. And it sounded so funny. I want to hear it. You know, your kids act out and, um, in, in public and you're just like mortified by the way they're acting you're like let's not do this in public and my one of my child blurted out like I don't care I'll never see these people again um so you know it's it's just those toddlers we 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 love them and we love to learn to love them so yeah um, and they don't care they don't care at all they're not worried about who's gonna see it they're like this is my truth I'm gonna live it this is a wedding I don't care Funeral, I don't care. This is my truth. <laughs> you, you have such a fascinating story you know, as a as a California kid now living in, in Quebec, um, yes. you know, raised in the church, but uh, married a Jewish guy. For those that aren't familiar with uh, with your story, I wonder if you walk us through some of the highlights. Yes. Well, I was um, I'm from California. I live in Quebec, but I'm from California, um, Northern California. Um, Oakland, Berkeley area, and then moved to um, Montreal, <laughs> to Quebec shortly after, well, about, gosh, about four years after getting married, moved to Quebec. Um, and so it, that was a huge change. I know it doesn't seem like a change to people, Canada versus the US, but it is very different. Like we don't have Trader Joe's, we don't have you know, I mean, there's French, first of all, um, we don't have Target. So it's, it's been a very deep spiritual struggle not having those two stories um, to go to. You know, the, the true sign that you truly are still an American is you that that word you said about, uh, you said it very American-like. So you, yeah. you have not been converted to all things uh, Canadian. I, I'm sure one of the biggest changes was, you know, um, People are a lot nicer in Canada than than uh, I imagine in California. <laughs> it's it's a different kind of niceness, and I think it's almost like an East Coast West Coast thing. I think on the California people are very friendly, um, but I feel like it's like it's. I'm not saying it's a superficial friendly. We're just very friendly and open. We're chill with everybody, um, and that on the East Coast you don't get like the outward cheeriness which surprised me because i I'm, i smiled at everybody and I'm like, why is everybody so mad but then when you get to know people they are super ride or die and i think it's because of winter because you do need your neighbors in winter to survive canadian winters you do need help chipping through the ice on your car at 7 a.m so it's a different kind of friendly you write about this in, in the new book, um, which we'll get to in a few moments, but, uh, you know, about your journey of distancing yourself from, you know, the religion of your upbringing into raising children and how that brought you um, back into a faith journey. Um, so I wonder if you'll talk to us about that experience. Yes. Yeah, so it was really, I mean, I grew up in um, first generation Nigerian household. My parents came from Nigeria when my oldest brother was around two and a half three and I was the first one born in the West and so we grew up in 
um, it's, it's Christianity, but a very Nigerian Yoruba, which is our tribe um, version of, I mean, like, or, or, or flavor denomination. I'm not sure exactly what the word is. Um, it kind of is uh, the best way to describe it is a bit of Pentecostal, um, but with some maybe indigenous um, things like blessing water and things like that. So grew up in a very, a very like Bible home, but for me, it was more, it felt more culture. Um, I didn't even, when people talked about having a relationship with God, I did not, that, I did, that didn't make sense to me. I didn't really understand what that meant. I certainly didn't have that, um, even though I was very good at memorizing the verses and, and being good and going to the services, but even as a teen, I didn't, I didn't really connect. And I think that was probably because we just had so much, oh, there's a lot of strife at home. I left it around 16. Um, I kind of developed this belief that Christians were all hypocrites and actually didn't like Christians at all. <laughs> My whole teens and adulthood, I was like, oh, these people are all hypocrites. You know, it's all, it's all just, fake and so they can feel like they're in a special club um, and it wasn't until much later in my life when I just kind of spiraled in life in a lot of ways even though doing very well career-wise um, I had no no like basis no no um I had that foundation I it was God I was missing God I didn't know it at the time I was missing God. And then once I realized, or I guess I didn't realize actually Jesus revealed himself to me. <laughs> once, once I had that encounter and, and the presence of God will change everything in your life. It's, it, it changes everything. Um, then my life changed completely. <laughs> Why do you think bringing, um, you know, child into this world, delved you into a, a new chapter of your faith journey? You know, what is it about oh being goodness. a parent that, you know, in a unique way changes your relationship with God? Oh, man, it, it's well, I, I didn't have a relationship with God before being a parent. So it's hard for me to, to, to know, like, what it would have, a re, like, kind of um, have a relationship with God not being a parent and then having a relationship with God as a parent. But as someone who parented for a long time without a relationship with God, I would never want to do that again because parenting just on its own is, I mean, it's wonderful, but it's, it's, it's also terrifying, exhausting. We know the world. We look around and we see that it is um, on its best day, a bit of a dumpster fire. And even though, I mean, we have nature, we have each other, there, there's so many like beautiful things here, but it is to have your, I think uh, there's a poet who talked about parenting is having your heart walk outside of your body. So having this, this person that you love more than yourself walking around just, I mean, earth is not a great neighborhood um, through here with all kinds of people being now doing that mothering and being sensitive to them and how they grow, not even just the physical safety, but their, their, their spiritual lives, their emotional safety, their, their mental, um, everything being able to do that alongside with a God who I know 
loves me. I know who loves them even more than I could dream of loving them and has a plan for them. Being able to to parent them and love them um, alongside God and his and his wisdom and his his peace is everything. <laughs> it's ever I couldn't do it. I could not I could not do it without without God. You have a new book, Help Me God, I'm a Parent. Um, you've compiled uh, letters to the God of the universe on behalf of yourself and, and other parents. You wrote, uh, if you're reading this, it's because you're a parent, grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, a caregiver in these wild and crazy times. Uh, when did you find that your voice could speak not only about what you were experiencing as a parent, but to other parents and caregivers? That was when I first started um, the Twitter account Honest Toddler. And I, that was about 10 years ago now, or nine and a half years ago, when I was just writing about my experiences raising a classic toddler. Because my firstborn as a toddler, she was very easy, very, that a lot of people get an easy firstborn. And I, I know why God does that. It's, it's, a, it, it's, it's a technique, because if you had the second, first, everybody would have one child. So I had the very easy firstborn and then I just thought I was amazing. You know, I just thought, well, I'm just very good at mothering. I'm just naturally a gifted and talented mother. And then I had a second born who's really that classic, um, no, we are gonna fight about toast. We're gonna fight about toast at five o'clock in the morning before you're fully awake because not only is it the wrong shape, wrong color, it is also on the wrong plate. And, and I'm going to lose my mind and you're going to participate in that. And so when I had this, when I was writing about that, uh, I was so surprised that there were other people in the exact same, um, in the exact same boat. And the more I've written about parenting, the more I'm just convinced we're all living the same lives um, in different zip codes but all going through the same things in, in our different homes. So it's very comforting. While reading the book, I, I found myself at times um, laughing my butt off and other times, uh, <laughs> you know, crying and, and still at other times um, thanking God that I'm not alone in my feelings as a, as a parent. Why, why do you think you are successful in connecting with the highs and lows, the laughs and gaffes of, of parenting? Um. Um, I think it's because um, it's, it's something uh, something kind of that I don't really love about myself. Is I uh, I've, I feel like I was born without um, a filter, without like you know that thing that makes people pause before they say something um, or express something and think, how is this going to make me look? I don't yeah, <laughs> I don't I, have I, that. Yeah, I, I I've. Um, I have what's called foot and mouth syndrome. So yes. my entire life, I found myself getting in trouble uh, because I just say what I think. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I know how you feel. And it starts young. It starts young. <laughs> I remember in third grade, teachers just like, and you're, and you're wondering, like, what did I say? What did I, what did I, I, what did I say? I just saw something, thought it, and then it just came out of me. And like, I don't, <laughs> I, 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 I resonate with, um, I too am a fellow sufferer of that syndrome. <laughs> and so when I have an experience, when I'm, when I'm talking about parenting, I, I talk about it very honestly and just exactly how I feel. And I think sometimes people um, understandably hold back in, in how they're 
they speak about things because I mean, it's a wise thing, you know, and also nobody wants to seem like a bad parent or a parent who just doesn't have it all together. Um, Everybody, I think, wants to be that Instagram mom or dad with the perfect living room and your kids are wearing all beige, alpaca, you know, sweaters and you're, you're going strawberry picking in the afternoon. Everyone wants to look like they have it all together. Um, I've never been able to even pretend to have such a thing. So I think that helps people relate to me. (laughs) So, you know, for, for many families, um, the pandemic was a a new ball game when it came to life together, uh, with kids doing school online and parents working remotely, families found themselves spending more time and inhabiting shared space uh, more often than what they were used to. You know, I, I know a good bit of some of your work, especially on online, is you know those that follow you reaching out to you. What were some of the common situations you found yourself writing in response to from from your from your you know readers and and listeners, if you will? Oh man, the the pandemic time, the the being home all together. I mean, I know that God used that time to drop families closer because we're just going, you know, we, everyone had their routine. Everyone was, we just went when we were just in our, in our routines, but all of a sudden everything stops and suddenly you're in this, in this house. Some people have bigger ones than other ones. Um, but you're all together all the time. And in this very strange heightened sense of, you know, panic, like, or fear, um, worry, and as parents, we try to shield our kids from as much as possible, but they, they can feel things, they can hear things. Um, really what people were going through was, I, uh, you know, the one thing people would write to me actually a lot about was um, online school and how difficult that was for their kids just having to look at screens um, in a non-Roblox Minecraft way, just kind of trying to learn through screens and how stressful that was. Um, the stress that kids were going through actually through just the fear that was in the air. It was, it was almost palpable. Um, and them experiencing that in our neighborhood, the, the playground actually had caution tape all over it. So kids weren't allowed to, to use the, the playground. And there was a time when in the, in the early parts where, even walks outside were limited. It was pretty intense here. Um, and I think just that, you know, with children, they, they interpret things the best they can, but when it's being, you know, said, there's this thing in the air that could like wipe out your whole family. That's a lot for a kid to try to make sense of. And I would get messages from, from parents who up until about five months ago when things were, have been, you know, cool, cooling down, um, where kids were actually struggling very severely mental health wise, um, eating disorders, um, all, all kinds of things being hospitalized. Um, I, I just like, it, it was really, really heartbreaking. This podcast is presented to you by 
CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This episode is brought to you by Youth Theology Network. Youth Theology Network is your resource for helping high school students take their next most faithful step. Their online hub will provide you with resources for and by leaders helping high school youth discover their purpose. 100 plus vocational discernment programs across the U.S. to help students explore their call and impact stories to remind you of why this work matters. Like you, Youth Theology Network is dedicated to seeing students live out their purpose, passion, and calling. Connect with us to learn more on how you can partner together to support the next generation of leaders by following us on Facebook or Instagram or by visiting youththeologynetwork.org. That's youththeologynetwork.org. Let's settle into a couple of these letters to God. You wrote, Dear God, it feels as if I'm always trying to push the scared one out of the nest, keep the one who doesn't look before they leap from hurling towards the hard soil. I don't know how you do this with billions upon billions of baby birds. Love me. You know, I was a, an adventurous kid. Um <laughs> I say that as if I'm no longer an adventurous adult being the first to volunteer to do something crazy and unsafe, you know, but as parents, as a parent, you know, I find myself in the same place of being so fearful of my kids getting hurt. Mm. So, so talk to us about the the psychology of parental fear, I guess, for lack of better terms. Yes, it's a very real thing. I mean, we love them, you know, we love them. We want them to be okay. And we all know they have to experience certain things and, and then the way you you get good at anything like even if it's a rock climbing wall or or going to um like a a party you know a little little kid kind of party if you have a nervous one who doesn't want to go we know that we have to allow them to have these experiences to, to develop the ability to to get past fear um but 
it's a tough, it's a tough thing to navigate. Um, that prayer, like when I tell people that I'm constantly praying, <laughs> I, I am, um, not even just for their safety and for their strength to do these things, but also for wisdom, because sometimes I know I've let my, my own fear, um, like irrational fear, um, or even, you know, the issues as, as parents, we, we had our own childhoods and we developed, you know, what, whatever it is that we're carrying with us. So when I'm praying, ask, asking for wisdom, asking for my, for my own deficiencies, not to get in the way or hamper them or not pass on any of the things, um, like asking God, okay, if, if this is right, show me how, show me how to do this. So, but I completely understand it's, it's a very fine walk and the stakes feel so high and <laughs> there, there are our kids lives. So it feels like incredibly high. What's the balance of, of protection and, and letting them learn from getting hurt? And the, the, it's, it's a tough balance. I mean, even just thinking about the jungle gym, you know, that, that dome thing that's in a lot of parks where it's like that, that metal dome where they climb up it and go to the top. It's, you know, you see your kid doing it. And in my mind, I'm like, you know, it would only take one hand slipping for this day to end up very different, but I'm just sitting there and, and watching, and then they get to the top. Um, really, I think it's just a case by case kind of a thing where, where you pray, you kind of know your kid too. Um, you, because I have, I, my, my oldest one is, is more cautious. My, my second born, I think like most middle children is more of like the, the leap first. Kind of, we'll think about it later, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm a middle child too. So I, under, I do understand that. Um, so you know, which one of your kids needs to be pushed and, and which one of your kids needs to be like, okay, you know, I, I really don't want to, I'm not going to the emergency room today. I've said that, you know, five o'clock and, and the kids are getting kind of like getting really rowdy for some reason, the way they do right before or after dinner. And I just give them a speech. I am not going to the emergency room today. That is not my destiny. It's not my portion. It's not going to be what we're doing. So I need everybody to dial it back a little bit. Um, and it, it, but it's a hard, it's a hard thing to, to walk through. Sometimes when I think about our childhoods where we were completely, I mean, we were not supervised as much as they are. And we survived somehow. I remember being in the back of the station wagon, the type where, you know, there, there were the seats where that, that face on come, like the traffic behind you, the on, you know, you're looking into people's headlights. Yeah. Like those were our, there were seats back there. And I don't think we had our seatbelts on. I remember our parents like yelling as we move around in the car. So we survived a lot of things um, by God's grace, I believe. I believe there are a lot of angels that are just helping kids make it to the end of the day. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of children died by getting rear-ended by oh, you know, did they vehicles that I think I think that's one of the main reasons they got rid oh of that. Oh my that, gosh! Uh, you know, fascinating rear-facing. Who came up with that? Who who thought that's a, an amazing <laughs> idea for the kids to be facing like the traffic coming? To, I mean, it was the best seat in the house for us, but oh my gosh. <laughs> No wonder it doesn't exist anymore. No yeah, wonder. Yeah. yeah. You know, the other thing is thinking about is like, I feel like after I was like a baby, we were no longer in car seats, but like now right. I feel like, you know, 
my 10 year old is going to be in a car seat until she's like 12. So, Oh, I know. Uh, Same with yeah. my nine year old. I look at him and he's like in this, you know, tall booster thing with the strap. And I'm just like, am I okay? Like, is this normal? But they're telling us like first of all keep them rear facing until their feet start legs start cramping like keep them rear facing <laughs> until they can no longer physically have it and even then do another year like there's so much pressure <laughs> to do things we're, we're we're scared we're a little bit we're a little bit scared you know we, we all need to like i, I have my son because sometimes he gets scared at, at night walking around like to brush his teeth he's a little nervous and i we talk about that verse and like god did not give us a spirit of fear but a power, love, and a sound mind. I think all adults, parents, we need that too. <laughs> we need it. I'm also chuckling in my mind thinking about like all Canadian drivers. I just imagine everybody's driving around like, oh, sorry, uh, we'll be safe. I, oh, go, yeah. go ahead. You know, just uh, as kind as can be on the road. There's no aggressive driving in Canada, is there? It's, it's either one or the opposite extreme. So, at, you know, at a four-way stop, the, the stop signs or the four-way stop, me being a California driver who learned to dr drive in Southern California on the 10 freeway where it's like do or die. Like it's, it's not a joke. If, if you, if you make someone angry, that could just be your last day on the road. And so I learned to drive there and then, but coming here, we're at a four-way stop in Canada. Nobody's moving because everyone's like, no, after you. And I just go because I can't handle it. I, I, I'm an American at heart. I'm just, it's seven o'clock guys. We can't do this. It's whoever came first. Let's just come on. Somebody has to. So, so I end up going and looking like like a like a lunatic. But and but then you either get the opposite extreme in Montreal, where because it's very diverse, people get their driver's licenses from all over the world. I think in places where it's not a big test, it's kind of like, well, can you shift into drive? Okay, you're good to go. And so you'll see a lot of reckless driving. So it's this very strange blend between this extremely polite nobody's going anywhere to i'm gonna change lanes and just see what happens like i'm just gonna see what ha i'm not gonna signal i'm not gonna look i'm i'm going 100 and it's like whatever happens whatever happens so it's it's fun it's it's fun in like a very uh life-threatening way <laughs> um this one this one's powerful you wrote dear god hold my parents soothe them if anywhere in their minds is a tormenting demon whispering that my mistakes are their fault or that they could have done better, let them know I get it now. Uh, take us a little deeper into what you are expressing and experiencing. Yes. So with that one, I just, as I've grown up, as I've grown up and had my own kids, and especially when you reach the age <clears throat> that, that your parents were, when they were in the thick of parenting you, I realized I'm like, okay, they were kids. Like they, they weren't the Superman and Superwoman that I envisioned them to be. They were human beings just trying to do their best with very little money, very little support, very little resources. We were poor, poor, like churches giving us Thanksgiving dinner, food stamps, poor for a really long time um, when my parents immigrated, they eventually became citizens and, and, and made it and everything, but we were poor for a long time. And there was a lot of strife in our house, like anger. Um, and I held it against them for a long time. I held, I held kind of what I thought a parent or what I thought a, a kind of home should look like. I we used to watch leave it, leave it to beaver. We didn't have cable. So we had this like, 
um, hanger antenna on this TV and I would watch Leave it to Beaver at 5 a.m. and think, well, it's supposed to be like that, you know, like the mother is supposed to wear pearls and vacuum and, you know, and, and it's supposed to be all cheery all the time. So I think I held it against them when it didn't look like that. But then when I became a parent um, and then I, my own failures, you know, I just saw that this is just very hard to do. And they really did their best and they did great in so many ways. They did teach me about God. They did teach me about the Bible and they did teach me about perseverance, about working hard, about not giving up. Um, so I learned humility. I learned forgiveness. And, and I hope um, with my own kids, because I, I order dominoes quite a bit. I've racked up a lot of points. So I know one day when they get out in the world and see that there are other parents cooking real meals, they'll need to expend, extend that forgiveness to me as well. So hopefully it'll be like a full circle kind of thing. They're going to figure out that people, that moms were out here cooking like every night and it's going to be a shock to them. So. Well, and hopefully they'll like discover real pizza too. I know. So that's another thing they have already, they've started because I think they had this like Italian, you know, style wood burning thing. They're like, what is this? And I, I tried to, you know, say that that's really only legally allowed for Italians to eat. And since <laughs> we're not Italian, you know, it would be breaking the law. But I know, I know they're going to get out there and say, wow, it could have been different. But there are no is- points with the Italian restaurants. There's no points <laughs> reward system. So it's such a great line. My, my favorite lie I have continued to tell my parents, my children is um, when you hear the ice cream truck music, um, they're playing the music. That means they're out of ice cream. Yeah. So, yeah. So when that's the ice brilliant. cream truck comes around the neighborhood, you're like, oh, they're out. Oh, uh, so we can't bad. get any. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's too bad. <laughs> it's really nice of them to let us know. But unfortunately, you know, all they have is salads. The the, the music is for the music is for for salad. That's the salad song. I love that. I also tell my kids um, that the 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 cameras, the security cameras at the grocery store, when they believed like in a Santa, I would say that was Santa's security detail because they would, that's when they would really like try to like you know they act up or in the grocery store they know you're tired kids can sense it and so they'd be like oh you really want to be like do you see those cameras you know when they're really young do you, like santa's watching all the time i made him seem like big brother like very very scary he's always watching he can see you right now 24-hour surveillance yeah what is it about when you're exhausted it's like you're your kids are like wolves circling. They know. Like, they just know. They know. They know. But- That's when they ask for for Robux. You know those Roblox, the the video game money, Minecraft, whatever point iTunes subscription. And then you see it later. Like when did I get this? I was like, oh, <laughs> that was seven p.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> They're like, okay. Yeah, you know, it's going back to kind of this prayer. I remember hearing my parents say, "You'll get it when you're a parent," and I remember thinking to myself. <laughs> you're idiots like and I now i have those moments and i think dang they were right but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell them no of course not you can't tell them even now even now my mom will say something to me that i know was literally the holy spirit speaking it to her something that like i needed to hear and i'm like thank you for the advice i appreciate it mother thank you i will take that into consideration in my mind i'm like dang she really hit that on the <laughs> like 
I mean, can I have some privacy, God? Like, what's happening? <laughs> like, I'm an adult. You're like, this is like, it feels like snitching almost. I know. <laughs> they were right about everything. They were right about that kid who you thought was your friend, but was not your friend. They were right about it all. <laughs> it's so hard to admit. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think one of the most powerful aspects of your writing, both in your books and your online posts is that you are transparent and, and honest and vulnerable. vulnerable. And, and I can imagine you, you get pushback from some parents about things that you say about parenting or reflections on, on dealing with your kids. How do you balance uh, keeping the critics at arm's reach and, and processing what, what they're saying? Oh man, so I I do get a lot of a lot of messages on on Facebook. Facebook mostly, more than any other social media platform, there's something about the atmosphere at Facebook that makes people really I think there's like a, a weird tension and a weird just like faux intimacy there that makes everyone kind of feel like, you know, I need to I need to give you some input on um bath time and what's happening there in your house <laughs> um i i don't get upset i whenever i i get feedback or advice i just try to take it as just someone feeling like they have to express themselves interesting enough like i wouldn't get um when i would post about oh i got more dominoes posts you know dominoes at points and things like that i wouldn't i don't really get a lot of messages about you know, like try making a casserole or something. Um, people know, like I do, I do cook. It's not Domino's every night. That would be like really expensive. But most of the pushback I've gotten was after I became a believer and started posting about God. That's what got people really upset. I actually, I lost a lot of followers. Um, I would get a lot of comments like, we missed the old you. Um, I was still doing humor, but I would just, also talk about my faith and I would share a Bible verse that really meant something to me. I, I'm not, I wasn't trying to evangelize. I never feel like I'm trying to push anyone else to believe something um, because that's not how I came to faith in Jesus. Nobody, nobody pushed me. It was an experience. And I just feel so much love for God and so much gratitude that he saved me from truly being lost in the dark miserable um and it's like with anything else people share what what they love but i think i think people have a lot of of um i don't know misconceptions and maybe they were hurt in a in a church setting or they just I, for a long time i didn't like christians so there are people who feel who have those feelings but um whenever i post uh you know, a Bible verse that I, I love the Psalms. So sometimes I'll post that. I notice people do leave or I'll just get kind of a, I wish you wouldn't, or, you know, I, a, a big thing is I miss the old you. And I'm just like, well, I don't, I, but I agree. I respect your opinion. Of all the letters in, in this book, which was the most painful to write? Oh man, the most painful to write. They're all, it's always hard for me. Um, this style of writing, when I started writing Honest Toddler, I did it anonymously because I, I like to be anonymous. I am extremely introverted. I, even though I, I know I don't come off like that online, but I'm online. It's, I'm, I'm safe. I'm, I'm in my house. Um, 
but when I'm writing books as myself, like I've been doing lately and sharing my faith, which is so personal to me and so intimate to me with God, it's all been hard. I don't even, there were times, um, both with Dear God and this book where I wanted to back out. The fear kind of, it really gripped me that I'd be sharing my prayers with with people. Um, I knew that I was meant to. I knew God had put it on my heart to do it because it's like he wants people to know that he's there to, to he, he's there to help, but just like, it's like, just talk to me, just talk to me. And he wants people to know you don't have to come with fancy words. You don't have to um, be this this perfect human being. You don't, no matter what you've done, he just wants people to talk to them. Even if you have shame, no matter, he just wants people to talk to them. So I knew I was, I was meant to write these, but just knowing that people would know this part of me that I had never really shared before in this way it was so difficult that i i actually called it off <laughs> a couple of times i emailed my editor and i just told her you know it's been it's been really nice and i appreciate what you guys want to do here at zondervan but i i i think i'm going to i think i'm going to not and i'm so thankful that they kind of see see me and they they know that i just I'm having a freak out because she'd be like, whatever you want to do, um, but we can talk about, it. and then it would pass <laughs> and I would keep writing, but I would never re I, you know, when they send you the final files and le look it over, I would just email them back. Everything looks great because I knew if I read it and really thought about, okay, people are really going to see, um, they're going to really, really see me. I would, I would like black out immediately. I would, I would, I don't know. I would just be like, stop the presses, even though it would be impossible. I signed a contract. But it's all, it's all, what I'm trying to say, it's all, it's all kind of difficult. <laughs> Which of these letters makes you still laugh the most? Um, gosh, the one that makes me laugh the most, I think it's the, the, in the laughter section, there are prayers. <laughs> There's a prayer when I'm talking to God and I say, it's, it's almost dinner time and how nice it would be if I could just say like, let there be chicken nuggets and they would just appear. Um, if there was one spiritual gift I had, I think that it would be the ability to make food just uh, just come, you know, just dinner. It's like, let there be spaghetti and meatballs. Let there, I mean, I don't know if that would be categorized as a spiritual gift, but if if that were possible, I would do it. And I would share my gift with the world. I would not hide it under a bushel. Everybody would get chicken strips. Everybody. I would share them with the world. Everybody would have lasagna. That would be what I'm, what I'm sharing. I would, I would, you know, multiply and there's a precedent for this Jesus and he multiplied fish and loaves. So there's a precedent. There's a biblical precedent for the theologians listening. I am not one, but there is a precedent for, um, multiplying the snacks, you know, and yeah. doing that. So hey. if there was a gift, if there was an, an anointing, I would take the pizza anointing. I would take that. I would, I would accept that. And for biblical literists, you know, Jesus did say, I believe it was the gospel of Mark, that we would do even greater things than these. So yes, he did. Yes, so he did. There's, there's that. So uh, he did loaves and fishes. Greater would be 
like Chinese buffet, you know? <laughs> so I think there is a precedent for that. I just need to, I need to get the faith for that. As, as they say, I need to have the faith for it. And I, yeah, why not? I don't want to put limits on what's possible. What, uh, what's your hope for your readers? My hope for, for my readers is that they know that um, one thing that I'm very convinced of is that we are not meant to live this life one alone, that we're meant to walk alongside God. It is too hard to, to walk it alone. And then two, um, for those of us raising children in, in a very difficult time, that we are not doing it by ourselves, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, even before we know God, he knows us, he knows our children. So we can bring everything to him in prayer concerning our kids. And he's not just like a, a passive listening God, he acts. I've seen miracles in my kids' lives. And sometimes it takes perseverance to keep praying, um, but keep doing that and don't let anything not shame of what something you've done in the past or or um maybe a, a religious person has made you feel not good enough or don't let anything get in the way of your relationship with god and and talking to him and also reading his word because i've learned he likes to talk too and he does that through his words not just an old book like i used to think growing up it, it's alive and he speaks through it our guest is Boonmi Latitan. The book is Help Me, God, I'm a Parent. If you want to stay connected with Boonmi, visit boonmilatitan.com. Um, Boonmi, thank you for uh, making the time to have this conversation. It's been a joy talking to you. And um, thank you for challenging us to see that the most powerful tool in our parenting arsenal is heaven sent. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. P please uh, pray I get the the, the anointing of... Um, magic dinner i could just put that on your list thank you before we wrap up we need to tell you about one more of our annual sponsors baptist seminary of kentucky are you looking for a bible study resource for your church responding to an invitation from the cooperative baptist fellowship of virginia baptist seminary of kentucky has produced bible study resources that is available for free of charge the study title faithful curiosity five-week study of luke and acts deals with three passages from Luke and two passages from Acts. It offers Bible study methods and provides two interpretive essays for each passage. The writers are BSK faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Download this resource for free today at bsk.edu backslash faithful. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support. 